When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Our Football Insider subscribers gave us some questions, and we're going to answer as many as we can here over the next half hour or so. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. Uh, there were a lot of Deshaun Watson questions. I'm actually, little teaser here, I put a lot of those for our Tuesday pod. Um, so we're going to get kind of heavy into the Deshaun Watson questions if you sent those in on Tuesday. Today, there were some good free agency questions, though. So let's go there. And you know what? In fact, before we do that, I think maybe we should spend some time on this. Uh, Jay Traverse from Minneapolis brings up the Browns assistant coaches. He says, hey, Mary Kay, don't you think it's unusual that a team with a losing record had so many assistant coaches taken by other teams? And I start with this because, of course, uh, the news on Sunday that Drew Petzing was officially hired. Uh, he's going to Arizona to be the offensive coordinator. You reported that a week earlier that that was likely to happen. Um, so Petzing really the most prominent position coach to leave. But uh, the question here, you know, even though the Browns have struggled, their assistant coaches are getting hired. So why do you think that's happening? Well, there's an explanation for that. And this is a really good question because a lot of people probably don't wonder this. And it does give, give us a chance to illuminate the situation a little bit. So a lot of times what happens when a new coordinator comes in uh, and they want to have some positions on their staff that are going to be open, you have conversations with all of the assistants and you kind of, you know, you're pretty open and honest with the ones where you're probably going to want to place a new assistant in that spot. And in so doing, sometimes, you know, you, you know, the team even helps an assistant find a new situation. So I think in the case of Chris Kiffin and Jeff Howard, I think this was an opportunity for Kevin Stefanski and for Jim Schwartz to add a couple of new assistants. And I think it was probably, um, you know, it was probably pretty clear that these guys were welcome to find other opportunities. So this wasn't a situation where they got pulled up to be defensive coordinators somewhere. They basically made lateral moves to another position. And, you know, it's a win-win. It's good for them. It's good for the new team that got to hire some really good coaches. And it also gives Jim Schwartz and Kevin Stefanski an opportunity to fill some really important roles. 
now on the on the other side with the Drew Petzing hire, uh, th- this was a situation of him getting a promotion. You've talked a little bit about this, but what do you think it was about Petzing? You know, this is a guy that was a tight ends coach two years ago, got moved up to quarterbacks coach uh, last year, and now is going to be an offensive coordinator. It's been a fast rise uh, for Petzing. So what do you think it was that Jonathan Gannon sees in him to say, all right, I'm going to hand you the keys for what is a very important task? And that's figuring out Kyler Murray and, and how to make that offense work. It's an incredibly important task. And it's just kind of funny, Dan, because I got an opportunity to talk to Jonathan Gannon for over an hour at the Super Bowl. He was kind enough to give me that time because he's from Cleveland, uh, you know, right in the heart of old Brooklyn. He went to St. Ignatius High School, starred there. And so he was kind enough to give me this time. And we had an opportunity to talk coaching philosophy and player philosophy and all different kinds of things, hiring practices. And we did talk about that. And his whole idea, his whole philosophy is you find the person that you want to work with, that you like their football acumen in that particular area of the game. Uh, you, you feel good about how they're going to work with people and how they're going to fit in on your staff. And it doesn't matter to Jonathan Gannon, and he said this, and I've quoted him, it doesn't matter to me what's on their resume, if they've ever called plays before uh, as an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator or a special teams coordinator. It's what I see in the person and how I think they're going to fit with the players, with the other coaches, with me, and with the organization. And we know Drew Petzing. They worked together for four years in Minnesota. We've gotten to know Drew Petzing a little bit during his time here in Cleveland. He's very personable. He's fun to be around. Uh, he's somebody that you know anybody can work with. The players really like to, to be coached by him. He's got a very high football acumen. He's extremely smart. That's the kind of guy Jonathan Gannon was looking for. And, uh, you know, Drew Petzing was basically third in line to call plays here. Now, all of a sudden, he's offensive coordinator of the Cardinals. So he, like, you know, bumped up two spots to, you know, to the play caller. So, you know, good for him. It's a great opportunity. And I think you can see that Jonathan Gannon stayed true to form in also adding his defensive coordinator, who was linebackers coach in his linebackers coach in Philadelphia. Um, and he's only 29 years old, Nick Rallis. And that's raised a lot of eyebrows. And that's why I kind of threw that quote out there again that I got from Jonathan Gannon. I tweeted it out that I got from him at the Super Bowl because it explains his entire philosophy of hiring his staff. And also, this is why you'll see, um, you know, a lot of teams do this, but it's why Kevin Stefanski, a lot of times in the preseason, he's not the guy with, you know, the Denny's menu. It's somebody else. Um, he's given guys opportunities to call plays in preseason games. I mean, we, we've joked that that's how Freddie Kitchens got the head coaching job in Cleveland. But that, I mean, it is a real thing. Um to allow guys to have that opportunity in preseason games when, quite honestly, if you're the coach and the play caller, you probably don't want to have to call plays for a preseason game. So let somebody else do that. Let them get that experience. And and Drew was one of those guys uh, that got that opportunity at, at points during the preseason. That is very, very true. And it's a great point. And we do kid around a lot about that with uh, Freddie Kitchens getting the job from having called the fourth preseason game, which, uh, you know, in truth, you could call that or I could call that. Um, but, uh, you know, it does give these guys, uh, an opportunity in, in some instances to, to kind of show what they can do. Um, now the other thing about this 
is the fact that Kevin Stefanski and Jonathan Gannon are really close friends, okay? They also got to know each other really, really well uh, when they worked together during that same four-year period in Minnesota. It was a very tight-knit staff. And so those guys got really close. So when Jonathan Gannon wants to know, is Drew Petzing ready to be a coordinator? All he has to do is ask Kevin Stefanski about that. Kevin has watched him work at, you know, pretty much higher levels here than he did when, when they were in Minnesota. So Jonathan Gannon has not been with Drew Petzing since I think 2017 or something like that. But, um, but Kevin Stefanski has. So he was able to get probably a little bit of inside intel from his good buddy, Kevin Stefanski, on this. Now, why would Kevin Stefanski let a good coach like Drew Petzing out the door? Because he doesn't have a promotion to offer him. There's nothing he can do with him right now uh, to give him a better job. Even assistant head coach slash quarterbacks coach wasn't going to do much for him. Because if you want to be on that track, where you end up becoming a head coach, you want to be an offensive coordinator, if at all possible. And you certainly want to be calling the plays if you can. I mean, Alex Van Pelt right now is not even on as fast a track to a head coach job at this moment as now Drew Petzing is because he's not calling the plays. And I think with Eric Bieniemy and the Chiefs, I think that's one thing that held him back for a long time. Everybody perceived that all of that offensive genius was coming from Andy Reid, when in fact, Eric Bieniemy had plenty to do with what was going on in Kansas City and rightfully so just got an offensive coordinator job. But now Drew Petzing, our buddy Drew Petzing, uh, is one step away from a head coaching job. And how do we know that? Look at Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon was a two-year defensive coordinator and then he right, moved right into the head coaching chair for the Arizona Cardinals. He he was very clear about the fact that he had never called a play when he took over as the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2021. So he's a two-year play caller on the defensive side of the ball, now a head coach. So that's the kind of thing that that can happen for these guys. So one more thing on this topic, um, what, what's next for the Browns at that quarterback coach position as, as they look to fill that? Do you think it's more likely that it comes internally, maybe Alex Van Pelt or someone else on the staff? To, I mean, you've mentioned T.C. McCartney as an option, or do you think they will cast a, a somewhat wide net here to try and find a replacement? You know, it's a great question. Now, if we remember back to 20 and 21, They did not have a designated quarterbacks coach per se. They didn't have that until they made Drew Petzing the quarterbacks coach last season, promoting him from tight ends coach. And then this year in in 2022, they put TC McCartney onto the tight ends, taking him off of offensive assistant, assisting with quarterbacks in 20 and 21. But he really didn't have the title of, you know, quarterbacks assistant. He was just offensive assistant. So that's one of the options. I mean, they could just say, hey, we've got Kevin Stefanski calling the plays. We've got Alex Van Pelt, who's not calling the plays, but still is offensive coordinator. Do we really need a designated quarterbacks coach? I would say yes. Uh, So I think the chances are probably pretty good that they will do that. Um, But, you know, it's not written in stone. We don't know exactly yet 
what Kevin Stefanski is going to do. Um, we will have an opportunity to talk to him next week. So either they'll have the coaches in place by the time they head off to the combine, that would be ideal. Um, or he will, you know, maybe finalize some of those plans there. I'm guessing he'd probably try to wrap it up by this week if he can, but there's no pressure to get that done. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. Um, again, it would probably be ideal if Jim Schwartz had his two important offensive defensive assistants by the time they head to the combine, uh, but certainly not a deal breaker for assembling a staff. Yeah. And like on the defensive side, you know, you're looking at those guys, you'd like to have some coaches, you know, in that box with you to, you know, watching those guys going through the interviews with guys, things like that. And obviously all that stuff gets taped. So, so they can always go back if they aren't on staff, but you're not drafting a quarterback, you know, or if you are, you're certainly not drafting a starting quarterback. So uh, you, you kind of know who, who, who that guy is going to be. So um, not, not quite uh, the sense of urgency there necessarily. So, Let's before we get back to free agency, another question, and this goes to the podcast that we put up on Friday about the third round picks. This comes from Mark from Canal Fulton. Hey, Mary Kay, after hearing how the Browns third round picks are working out or not working out, where is the disconnect in this process, drafting or coaching? It's a good question. And I don't think we know for sure yet the answer to that question, because last year we expected some third round picks like Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips to really pick it up and and make a leap last year into their starting roles. And we did not see the progress. Of course, Jacob ended up getting hurt again, but we didn't see the progress that we thought we would see. Uh, and I think the Browns feel um, by virtue of firing Joe Woods that some of it had to do with the coaching. A lot of defensive guys regressed. Um, but there were also offensive guys involved in that as well. Uh, you had Anthony Schwartz, the 2021 third round pick. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you can pin that one on coaching or personnel because that's a situation where, and maybe this does fall back onto the personnel uh, department. Um, but Anthony has, you know, some, emotional sides of the game that he's working through some, you know, sports, you know, anxiety, a little bit and stress in terms of getting the job done. So um, I don't know if that's anything that you could have foreseen, but uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see going forward if they can coach him up into a, you know, third round pick type of performance. And then the jury is definitely still out on the three third round picks from 2022. Not so much Martin Emerson because we, you know, we saw some really good things from Martin Emerson. We also, you know, we saw some good things out of um, out of the other guys too. But I think their, you know, their upside is a little bit higher. They didn't hit their upside as much as they probably will next season. So I think we will better be able to answer that question in one or two years when we know if these guys pan out. And you know, it's that question right there, which is. You know, that's the question that ultimately leads to fracturing, right? When, when, when things fall apart and the team is losing, that's the question that usually leads to, you know, the front office points fingers at the coaching staff and the coaching staff points them right back at the front office, right? You didn't give us the talent or the front office says you guys didn't develop the talent that we gave you. So, um, you know, Kevin Stefanski likes to say that winning is a deodorant. And I, you know, that's kind of what the Browns need to have happen here. 
uh, because another losing season, if these guys just continue to not be the players, especially these guys they drafted this last year, where it's, it's just too early to say, if those guys don't start developing and, and you're losing on top of it, and you've got the pressure of the Deshaun Watson situation, like that's, that's the question that usually starts the fracturing kind of how you answer that question. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you 100%. But here's the, the place where I think that these guys might be okay when it comes to personnel and coaching, uh, more so than some other regimes that I've covered and dealt with, is the fact that they do work very, very closely together. Uh, they get along very, very well. And we know that hasn't been the case. There have been, you know, on the spectrum of, you know, GMs and coaches getting along, you know, we've, we've seen the whole gamut. We, we've seen it all. We've seen budding heads, can't stand each other, can't work together. You know, that's Sashi and Hugh, um, you know, to, you know, John Dorsey and, and Freddie Kitchens or John Dorsey. Well, and John Dorsey and Hugh, uh, you know, that wasn't so great either. And then, uh, you know, we've, we've seen it all, right. We, we have seen it all. We've seen, uh, you know, they get along. Okay. They hate each other, but, this particular group, they work very, very well together. They communicate all the time. And I think for the most part, they're singing from the same hymnal. And I think that is because the personnel department really tries to tailor the guys that they acquire to the players that the coaches want and need. Now, the problem with that sometimes is because is that those coaches change. Like who, who Joe Woods needed for her, his defense is different than who Jim Schwartz is going to need and want for his defense. Even though they're base 4-3 defenses, there are some fundamental differences. Um, so we'll have to see how uh, you know how that shakes out. I mean, is do they need a, an overhaul in philosophy at, at what kind of linebackers they like? Do they need vastly different defensive tackles? Uh, you know, I, we know they're in good shape at the uh, in the secondary. But how will Jim Schwartz view Greg Newsom? This is a big topic this offseason. Uh, but I think for the most part, the personnel department tries to work really closely with the coaching staff. I think that, you know, their offices are pretty close to each other. They're back and forth, back and forth all the time. And I don't think that, um, you know, that Andrew Berry is going to go out and acquire someone that Kevin Stefanski doesn't like, doesn't want. Um, but it means that the coaching staff, you know, they have to be on top of it personnel wise. This is another thing that Jonathan Gannon and I talked about. He spent four years as a scout with the Rams and he said it, you know, it give, it's given him a lot of uh, insight into evaluating players. And he, even though he did not want to do that at that time in his career, uh, now he sees the wisdom and the benefit uh, of having scouted because, you know, now he can help the scouting department uh, in player acquisition and, you know, they, they don't look at him like, you know, like, okay, you know, whatever, dude. I mean, they really know uh, that he knows how to do that. So talent evaluation is a very key part of coaching. Okay, let's take a break. And then we will get to those long promised uh, free agency questions here on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast here on a Monday. So I was going to start the podcast here, but went a different direction. Uh, so let's get to it. Some free agency questions, and we will start with Carl from Morgan Hill, California. And Mary Kay, you used the phrase singing from the same hymnal earlier. Carl and you are singing from the same hymnal. He says, hey, Mary Kay, what do you think of this offseason strategy for the Browns front office? Highest priority is obtaining a top flight receiver. This comes above any defensive acquisitions. Give Deshaun an explosive receiving core and the offense will make up for some defensive liabilities. Deshaun is the Browns' largest single asset. Invest in making him shine. Mary Kay, your thoughts? (laughs) Not only are we singing from the same hymnal, it sounds like we wrote the song together, right? Um, that's exactly you know, I, how I was right? going to say. Is that like your pen name or your pseudonym or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, that's exactly how I feel, um, and I've, I've kind of been, you know, putting it out there like that. I think that Deshaun is their biggest investment, two hundred and thirty million dollars. Uh, you know, when you talk about winning is a deodorant, you know. An elite quarterback is also a deodorant. I mean, you that can make up for a lot of ills, even some defensive deficiencies. So give me that amazing receiver over the defensive tackle. Like we'll figure it out over there on that side of the ball somehow or at defensive tackle, you know, even if, if we have to draft someone else that we think is really good in the second round or whatever the case may be, I'm going for that amazing, amazing receiver. Deshaun needs it deserves it. And and this is a part of, I wrote a little bit about this on um, on Saturday. I posted, you know, what's going to happen with Greg Newsome and Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones and some of these other players. Amari Cooper needs to make a decision this offseason on whether or not he's going to undergo surgery to repair his core muscle injury. If he does that, it's really not, it's not a huge surgery. It's obviously nothing like uh, you know, an ACL or anything like that. It's really about a six week recovery, maybe a little longer than that, depending on the nature of the injury. Um, but if he doesn't have it repaired and he's never had surgery before, I know he doesn't want to have surgery if he doesn't have to. Nobody would want to if you didn't have to. Um, in the event that he doesn't undergo the surgery, I think you are, you know, one wrong hit to the torso area you know, uh, against, you know, feeling very sore again next year. And you could see on film this past year that down the stretch, he wasn't himself and you don't want that to happen again. So I guess hopefully for him, he'll either have the surgery or find some modality that he feels super comfortable with and gets that thing taken care of. Because if he's healthy, then you know what? I mean, he's one of the best receivers that I've ever ever seen play up close and personal on the Cleveland Browns. He's he's one of the best. Those hands, the route running, I mean, you put it all together, it's pretty darn amazing. It's like Josh Gordon-like. You know what I mean? It's like watching uh, the best of the best that we've seen through here. Um, so hopefully for him, he can you know be super healthy next year. I don't know if boxing is the right thing to be doing right now. I don't know, Dan. Maybe that hasn't even occurred to you that boxing I, is an odd thing to do right now. Yeah, I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that he's able to box. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it means he's feeling fine. Maybe 
Maybe he's good to go now. I don't know. But but you are. I mean, he did not look like Amari Cooper game to game. You know, in the Washington game, he looked good. Um, You know, the Cincinnati game right after it happened, he couldn't he couldn't separate at all. And there were a couple other games where it wasn't that extreme. But you could just tell he was not he was not the same guy that he was the first 10, 10, 11 games of the season. Well, as I mentioned, we are going to the Combine, and there we will have uh, an interview with Andrew Barry, and we will have an interview with Kevin Stefanski. And we have to remember, put it on the list, Dan. I'll put it on my list, too. We have to remember to ask them about Amari's boxing. We remember that Kevin Stefanski kind of put the kibosh on Miles Garrett uh, playing basketball in the offseason. That kind of went by the wayside after a while. Um, But... You know, I have to wonder how they feel about the whole boxing thing. Maybe it's totally fine. Maybe it's a way to stay in shape, to work on your footwork and your agility, and they're totally cool with it. Maybe they even recommended it. Who knows? But, you know, we'll have to see, um, you know, how how that sort of plays out. But the point is, I think they need at least one other Pro Bowl caliber receiver. I say it all the time. I mean, all you do have to do is look down south in Ohio for what Joe Burrow has going on there. And it's not just Jamar Chase, okay? It's not. He's got a stable of really good pass catchers. Deshaun Watson needs the same. And, I, you know, I was thinking about this. We talk about defensive tackle, and we talk about maybe some of the mistakes of last year. And I think one of the mistakes was they relied a little too heavily on the guys they drafted and taking a flyer on a guy like Chase Winovich, uh, but guys they've drafted and, and things like that to sort of step up and, and be what they needed at tackle and edge. And it left them short in the end because none of those guys delivered. And then, of course, Javion Clowney didn't have the season he had the year before. And I would be a little nervous going into next season for, you know, the, the reason that Carl gave us. You know, Deshaun Watson is your biggest asset. He's your biggest investment. So you you need to invest in him. I'd be worried going into next season, just counting on, you know, I, I don't know if we've seen Donovan Peoples-Jones' ceiling. I don't, I don't know if he's better than what we saw last year or if that's the best of him. Um, I think there's more there, but we'll see. Uh, you know, David Bell, I'd like to see what he can do, but I don't know if I want to count real heavily on him making that leap in year two. You can just go through the list. I'd like to see them find another sure thing to put out there. And then you can still develop these young guys you have. You can still draft another guy or two. It's fine. But I, I think I'm with both of you. I want to see them make that investment at receiver because I would I don't want to be sitting there in week eight thinking, oh man, these guys just aren't they aren't doing what we thought they would do. It's kind of just Amari Cooper and a bunch of other guys. Yeah, and you know, I mean Donovan had such a nice season last year, and you would expect that, you know, that he will continue to progress. Um but I don't know if you got a chance to read what's going to happen in the offseason with, with some of these guys. But in that, uh, in that post, I wrote that um, I really don't think they're going to extend Donovan Peoples-Jones' contract. I think they're going to try to let him play that out for next year because you need guys that are playing on their rookie contracts. You need those cheaper salaries. His cap number is about $2.7 million. So it's going to be a pivotal year for DPJ to go out there, uh, to have a chance to prove to the Cleveland Browns or maybe other teams that, uh, you know, that he is a bona fide, at least number two receiver, uh, and, you know, that he deserves the big, huge contract. And then the Browns are going to have to decide if they want to pay him that or, you know, how that's going to work out with 
David Bell and Michael Woods, you know, I mean, like when you have Deshaun Watson with a cap hit of more than $54 million, like $55 million a year, you have to be very strategic about all the other parts of your football team and where you can save pennies is where you try to do that. And so I, I thought that was kind of, I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I talked to a few people and I kind of got the idea that, um, you know, that that probably is going to be the strategy that we shouldn't necessarily be expecting some kind of an extension, uh, you know, before the season starts or before training camp starts. So um, I think that's another reason why, you know what, go out and invest some money in a blue chip premier receiver, because here's the thing, you can't necessarily count on a second round pick coming in and being the guy that you need him to be. Now, sometimes they are, especially if they're from the SEC. I mean, you have a much better chance of them being a really, really good receiver if they came out of LSU or Alabama or somewhere like that. Um, But for the most part, at this point, I think it would behoove the Browns to get a proven veteran receiver. I don't know if they feel that way at all. And they probably won't tip their hand to us about that, even when we grill them about it at the Combine. Again, we're hurtling towards the acquisition season. By March 13th, we'll know what their plans are that way, because Mar- not necessarily March 13th, but March 13th, 14th, 15th, uh, that's the, uh, you know, the pre-free agency period where you can start to negotiate. And we'll kind of have, have a better idea if they're going to make a trade. or I mean, you could even make a trade ahead of time. Um, so, you know, something might even happen before that, but, and it just doesn't become official to the league until the league year starts. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll know soon enough in less than a month, what their philosophy is on adding premier pro bowl caliber receiver talent to this team. And, and just going back to the extension thing real quick. I mean, you can extend guys after year three, but you don't have to, you know, Donovan right. is still under contract and, and these guys, they've been sort of, they haven't always been in a rush to, to do extensions. They'll take mm-hmm. their time. You know, Miles, they, I mean, they, they took over that off season, but that was year four. Denzel, um, you know, they didn't do after year three. Njoku, they ended up tagging to, in order to, to get that extension done. So um, they, I, I've always felt like they have somewhere, somewhere in that office, Andrew Barry has like a little order of operation, like, Donovan, mm-hmm. this is where you are on the list. And this is still what we need to see from you. And, um, you know, show us this and we'll take care of, you know, I just, they're, they're not going to rush to do things just to do them. So um, even though Donovan doesn't have a fifth year on his contract, like those other guys did, you know, they, they still have a, a measure of control, even if he goes out and has a big year in year four. Yeah. And, and to Donovan's credit, he can go out with a full season of Deshaun Watson and light it up. I mean, if he goes out there and catches eight touchdown passes, I mean, that boosts his stock a lot. So it's an opportunity for him uh, to play really hungry in a contract year and go out and make himself a bunch of money. Chances are he would be selling himself short right now. Let's see what he can do with Deshaun Watson so he can maximize his earning power too. Okay. Let's get to a few more questions here before we go. This sort of, go, this is in the same vein, but Rod from Athens, Ohio. 
Hey, Mary Kay, what is the one very best move the Browns can do in free agency? And what is the one very worst move they can make in free agency? So I feel like a wide receiver is probably the answer to the first part of that question. But what do you think the worst thing they could do in free agency would be? Resign Jadavian Clowney? <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably it right there. <laughs> I'm only half kidding. Um, but yeah, the the best thing that they can do is once again, I mean, I don't think it's just one thing. I think they need to acquire those three things that I keep talking about over and over and over again. And I I mean, I, I don't even know that if they are thinking along those lines yet, really, to be honest with you, but receiver defensive tackle number two edge. Um, so how, however you want to do it, trades, free agency, whatever I've been saying, Javon Hargrave, Yannick Nagakaway. I always go big or go home in these situations. You know, me, I've always been like that. I was, I was all about Yannick Nagakaway a couple of years ago. Um, and it was unfortunate. I thought that they, they didn't make that happen. Uh, just because of, you know, his age and his productivity and all those kinds of things. But um, so, yeah, the worst thing that they could do, I guess I should give you something other than that, because like I said, I was kind of half kidding there. I don't think anybody expects that Jadavian Clowney is going to be back here after everything that happened. So um, I should probably give you another answer. The worst thing that they could do in free agency in my mind would be to not acquire a veteran receiver. I mean, it kind of goes, it's the corollary to the best thing that they can do. I just think they need to do it. Don't wait until the draft to get that guy. There, there are guys out there. There are guys available. And I actually would probably try to find somebody that's worked with Deshaun Watson before, if you can. I mean, we know there are a couple out there, Brandon cooks, right. You know, uh, there are a couple of those guys available. So I would probably be kind of looking along those lines or somebody that Deshaun Watson kind of has in mind that he would love to work with and has always thought about working with. Okay. Uh, this is an interesting kind of big picture question here um, about last season. This comes from Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, we have witnessed a lot of dysfunction over the years with the Browns. Would you consider this past year's experience as dysfunctional or just having a lot of tough breaks throughout the season? I think it was somewhat dysfunctional. And I think that was one of the most disappointing aspects of the season. We view this as such a functional regime and coaching staff. And to see some of the dysfunction that went on, uh, you know, I just thought there was a little bit too much of it. Now, you can you can argue that those kinds of things go on every year on every single football team where guys are late, where guys get, uh, you know, sat down for a, you know, for the first series here and there. That stuff probably goes on all over the place. But it wasn't just that. It was uh, guys kind of, you know, splintering a little bit, guys not sticking together when there were blown coverages, missed assignments, the yelling that went on in the locker room. After the Baltimore game, Jadavian Clowney steadfastly refusing to go in on anything but third down. I think, truthfully, I probably would have sat him down for a couple of games after that. I don't think that you can send that kind of message uh, that a player can refuse to play in a game. You lose the game, a big division game, and he just, no, sorry, not going in on anything but third down today. No, you can't do that. 
I think you have to put your foot down and, and really bring the hammer down after that. I don't know. What do you think about that, Dan? I, we've never asked each other this question. Yeah, I I don't like it. I don't like the we're going to sit you for a series punishment. It just doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't feel like anything. Um, now, maybe, you know, there's stuff in these guys' contracts, maybe some sort of starts incentive or something like that. But I can't imagine it's, you know, one series would cost them that. I, I just it never really felt like much of anything. Um and, and Grant, it was, it was Grant Delpit that had something like that too, right? Like a weird, he didn't play the first play in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, right. DeAnthony Bell started that game. So I, I don't know what kind of message that specific punishment sends. Hey, we're going to sit you for a series and then you're, you're back in. Um, it, you know, Perry on Winfrey essentially got suspended for a game. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sends a message. That's like, hey, you're not playing. Um, and it's tough because if you sit Javion Clowney or sit Miles Garrett down for a full game, you're making it really difficult to win that game. So I don't know if if you would actually do that or not, but I do agree with you. I think they needed to do more. And, you know, I understand the philosophy of not wanting to kind of put your business out there, but maybe you put out there, Hey, we're, we're sitting this guy because of disciplinary reasons. You maybe don't want to get into specifics, but you know, put it out there. So everybody kind of knows this is why this is happening. It's sort of a little, a little public shaming sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there was a lot of corrective action taken that, that we know of. And and well, I've said re- this before about miles too. I do. Sorry. I, I do wonder no, he, he got fined and suspended and that was the, like the first time that happened. I don't know. It feels it just feels like there was even more going on than maybe, you know, we, we don't know or people aren't telling us. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, what happens and, and we don't know all of it. We don't know what they did. They probably find Jadavian Clowney for that. Um, we don't know the whole story. Uh, you know, and, and maybe that's something that we can, you know, try to dig into a little bit more this offseason. But uh, but I think it sort of sets the tone for later, perhaps, having a guy like Greg Newsom when asked by a fan on Twitter if he would be open to playing inside again next year and him saying no. I mean, maybe some of that tone was set on September 23rd or October 23rd in Baltimore when Jadavian Clowney refused to play in the game except for on third down. I, you know, I, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. We haven't gotten a chance to talk to Greg about that and have him illuminate that situation. And maybe he never will. I, I don't really know. You know, maybe he'll say he was kidding. You know, like we don't really know. Um, but there's part of me that thinks that when one of your team leaders, a three-time pro bowler, is is out there doing something like that, that it doesn't set the right tone or message for the rest of the team and that maybe it was dealt with internally perfectly. I don't know. But what could have Perrion Winfrey done that was so much worse than refusing to play on first and second down in one of the biggest games of the season? Yeah, I don't know if he did anything worse, but I think the kind of cold reality of it is he's not as important to winning as Jadavion Clowney, especially when, you know, as we've talked about earlier, you're just not getting anything out of, uh, you know, from a pass rush standpoint out of Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas and Chase Winovich, like 
you almost you had to have Clowney out there um, if if you wanted to win football games. I, I think that maybe there was some prioritization going on there. Um, the, yeah. the Newsome thing is that I I didn't really think about that kind of lumping that into this, but you know Kevin has always said about social media he's not the thought police, but. I'm sure that they're not thrilled that Greg Newsom is going on Twitter and answering a question like that, that emphatically. And you're right. He might tell us that "Ah, I was just kidding around. I was just having fun on social media, but Mm -hmm. we all kind of know better. Yeah. Well, because we, we know the background. We know that he did not want to be playing inside this year. He told us as much at the end of the season. In fact, you wrote a whole story about that and you know, he had alluded to it several times last season and, um, so we do know better. We know he's really not just joking. And then he kind of doubled down when Perry on Winfrey used a meme with a guy saying, hell no. And Greg liked that. So we know that, uh, you know, we're pretty confident in saying that he wasn't just joking around about this. Um, and we don't really know where that is going yet. But I will say this. I don't think they're too freaked out about it. I, I really don't. I, I don't think they are. I think they're looking at it like, hey, we drafted you in the first round. We might be able to play you more outside this year because we have a new defensive coordinator and we don't know what he has in mind yet. Um, But if we need you to play inside some, then we're probably going to need you to play inside. I wrote about this um, for Saturday. And, you know, maybe we'll go out and get a designated nickelback. Maybe we'll use Thomas Graham as our nickelback. Um, But whatever the case may be, we're happy with the fact that we have multiple really good cornerbacks under contract for at least three more seasons. And most people uh, would love to have the situation that we have here at cornerback. So just go out and do your job and, uh, and we'll all go on our merry way about this. There's only so many guys you can have on the field at one time. So Greg, Mm -hmm. if you want to be one of them, I mean, maybe that's the hard conversation they have, right? Greg, if you want to be one of them, this is what you got to do. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. You know, I didn't expect anything differently, but um, in, in that insider, it, the tone was very much like, okay, great, it happened. We don't really care. <laughs> yeah. So not, you know, not you that know, cold, not that cold, yeah. but you know what I mean. Just like yes. it, it is what it is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I keep getting asked this uh, in some of my Hey MKs that I, you know, for, the, for print. Um, hey, what about... Martin Emerson at safety. And it's somewhat intriguing. Now, I mean, you need really good cornerbacks, but he, he actually has some size and characteristics of a good safety as well. So I I don't know, maybe it's not the craziest thought in the world to play, you know, Denzel and Greg and, and Martin out there all at the same time and not necessarily have someone playing nickelback, Uh, you know, I don't know how it could be done, but I don't know. Maybe there's a way to pull it off with uh, with matchups and whatnot. I mean, Greg certainly has the speed uh, to to keep up with the outside receivers more so than Martin does. So maybe there's a, a matchup type of situation you could do. Um, I, I don't know what Jim Schwartz has in mind yet. That's the big mystery with all of this. We just don't know how Jim Schwartz is going to look at these guys and, and deploy them. And, and we really won't start to get an idea of that until we get into OTAs um, and minicamp. Uh, actually, which is, it's getting closer. The off-season program is like actually less than two months away now, at least the the part where they start lifting weights and having meetings mm-hmm. and stuff. So yep. uh, we are we are certainly getting there. And as you've mentioned a couple of times, we are headed to the combine next week, which is sort of always feels like the official start 
of the NFL offseason. Yes. Okay, that's going to yeah. do it for this edition of the Hey Mary Kay uh, Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with more of your questions, as I mentioned. Uh, a lot of good Deshaun Watson questions in there, so that's coming up on Tuesday. Just make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And check out Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that, because that's where all of our questions come from. All right, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. <laughs>